Hello, and welcome to another video version of the Film Brain Podcast. And as you can see, we are all together in the glorious location of a travel lodge, which is the perfect place to discuss Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Yes, I really did say all of that title all in one go. But first, we of course have to introduce ourselves. Would you Why like to introduce us? the perfect us? location? I don't know. I think I'm just, <laughs> being sar- I'm just being sarcastic because there is no other way we could describe There's it. There's a licensing deal between the fair it's and a, Yeah. <laughs> Harley Quinn and the marvellous voucher for Travel Lodge. That's the sequel. Well, you know, I think Harley Quinn probably would stay in a Travel Lodge. There is a definite uh, possibility mm. there. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, it's probably nicer than her flat in the film. But you <laughs> yeah. change the decor at all. That's no, true. no. No. Stuffed beaver somewhere, he'll be fine. Turns out we're just still filming the Code of Honor bad movie down episode. <laughs> <laughs> just been stuck in a travel lodge for two years. <laughs> anyway. Hello, I'm Stuart Ashen, internet human person. Hi, I'm Diamanda Hagen, uh, internet non human person. I'm Omega. I'm human as well. (laughs) (laughs) So normally we start these things with a bit of a plot synopsis. So basically the plot of this is that Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie, she is broken up with the Joker, thankfully not played by Jared Leto this time. But of course, because she's now asserted her independence, now all the people that she's pissed off, and there are a whole heck of them, now want her dead. And top of the list is Black Mask, played by Ewan McGregor. And also Cassandra Kane has stolen a diamond that has bank codes inside of it that are very lucrative and now everyone is after her as well. What did you all make of Birds of Prey? It's alright, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's my total review. Yeah. Better than Suicide Squad. Yes, that's not that difficult yeah. to be fair. Yeah. It was stupid, silly fun, but you signed up for that. It basically said, okay, you know what you're here for and you're going to get it and it Reminded me a lot of Kill Bill 1 and 2. Mm. I I would have to say it's a very substantial improvement on Mm. Suicide Squad, but you could probably already guess that by the Rotten Tomatoes score, which is one of the biggest sequel swings I have ever seen, in that I think Suicide Squad was something like 27%, and the last time I looked at Birds of Prey, it was at 90 Good God. It doesn't hold the record, though, because as it turns out, Ouija holds the sequel swing record, where the original was something like 6-7%, and the sequel was 81%. What? <laughs> That's the sequel was good? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the guy who did, uh, did Oculus and yeah. uh, Haunting of Hill House and Doctor Sleep. Yeah, Mike Flanagan directed the prequel of Ouija. I think after the first one, I just, like, tuned that entire (laughs) franchise out of my brain. Yeah, basically, it's universally considered that the second Ouija film, uh, just watch that, don't watch the first one as (laughs) well. The house was fantastic, though. I want that house. But, yeah, I re-watched Suicide Squad in preparation for Birds Why? Well, partially for research purposes and partially because I do actually want to do a Bad Movie Beatdown episode on it at some point. So I watched it in the most ideal circumstance possible. I watched it on a fairly unclean laptop screen on a train uh, breaking it up intermittently to change between various platforms. Exactly how the director of photography wanted it watched. (laughs) To be fair, Suicide Squad is so bitty and so all over the place that it really doesn't detract from the viewing experience. I'm pretty Mm. sure that's how they edited it. Yeah. Yeah. Suicide Squad has not aged very well. It was not very good to begin (laughs) with. (laughs) You mean it's worse? (laughs) Is it just like a shrieking head for two hours or something? (laughs) I I think what I liked about Birds of Prey is 
is that there is some carryover from Suicide Squad, but mostly it pretends like it doesn't exist. So if you haven't seen Suicide Squad, don't worry about it. You yeah. genuinely don't need to watch it to understand Birds of Prey. But there are definitely some things carried over from it, particularly in terms of the soundtrack. The soundtrack yeah. had a lot of pop songs on it in the same way that Suicide Squad did. But here's the thing. I feel like they really learned their lesson. Mm. I feel like if you pay for the license, you get your fucking money's worth. Like, you play that out. Like, when they had, you know, um, uh, the that animal song, uh, House of the Rising Sun, that, that had to be worth so much in licensing fees. You stretch that out for the whole entire yeah. scene. Don't break it up. And I really feel like they kind of integrated the music in and made it yeah. feel good. So what happened with Suicide Squad was they released that first trailer, and then it turned out the first trailer had nothing in common with the tone of the actual film, but everyone positively received that trailer. So then from that point forward, and because of the backlash of Batman v Superman, they were actively changing the tone of Suicide Squad as they were going along. And wasn't the film literally recut by the yeah. people who did the trailer? It wasn't the exact same people who did the trailer. So the uh. people that did the first trailer for the movie was a different company, but the company that were handling all the other trailers after that point, they were the ones that also handled the editing of the movie as well, which is always a good idea. Always have people who edit trailers to edit your movie because those are two different yeah. things. Yeah. One's a bit longer than the other, I heard. <laughs> yeah. Bloody hell. You can That's definitely uh... tell watching Suicide Squad that it was edited by a company that makes trailers in that just has really jumpy pacing, doesn't really flow very well. But one of the main re- ways that they were changing Suicide Squad was just simply by the use of the soundtrack in that they had all this licensed music because the original trailer for Squad used of course Queen so they plastered it all over it and it's essentially just wallpapering on that movie and it's an attempt to try and (coughs) recapture Guardians of the Galaxy to a certain extent which also had a lot of licensed music on the soundtrack but with Guardians that was clearly thought out that was planned by James Gunn, who, funnily enough, is now directing the Suicide Squad <laughs> sequel, reboot, whatever the heck it the is now. And, and it, had yeah. an in, it had an in-universe reason for being there. Yeah. All of this music was there because this is the only representation that Star-Lord has of, um, you know, Earth music from his childhood. So you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this old-timey song, because his mum liked it, not just because Will Smith is shooting something. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, Suicide Squad is basically was like a radio dial. Going through randomly through the entire thing. Land on the AM news. There was no coherent sort of uh, logic to the song choices. They were just all over the place and incredibly on the nose if they could help it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still so angry that Fireboy, who ended up being a god for some reason, I'm so angry that his song was not Love the Way You Lie by Eminem and Rihanna because that was perfect because even the imagery of him in the, the wife beater shirt and it's burning and I'm like, Oh, you missed it. Or it could have been I'm the God of Hellfire. That's exactly what I was going to say. Crazy world of Arthur Brown in there. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cheap as a license as well. Yeah. I, I almost suspect that, that that was at one point considered the thing. <laughs> oh, no, that's too on the nose. <laughs> they, they would never have cut anything off Suicide Squad being yeah. too on the nose. Yeah. So in the case of Suicide Squad, it was not planned to have that soundtrack. With Birds of Prey, you can definitely tell that the soundtrack was planned mm. to be in the movie. It feels like it's much more of a piece with the film. Yeah, it's like taking what Suicide was and did badly and then it's doing it deliberately mm-hmm. and better across the board. I would pretty much say that that's most of the approach to Birds of Prey actually yeah. is, okay, what were the things that people sort of liked about Suicide Squad? Let's do them in a way that actually works. As you say, it's not really a retcon. I mean, it does sort of acknowledges that Suicide Squad happened very briefly yeah. and it's like, right, let's, let's forget about that. Yeah, there's, a, there's a couple yeah. of little throwaway nods all the way through the movie. There is some footage from Suicide Squad. They do show yes, there's, there's a, a little bit of Jared Leto in there technically, I think. Technically, the back of his head. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. So you can't yeah. tell. It's yeah. the, you know, so you can't tell. It's the Juggalo version. But basically, they were trying to eliminate all the shots where you could clearly see his face. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because they portray him quite differently in this. Like, when you don't see the character directly, there's, like, pictures drawn of him and stuff. Yeah. It's a very traditional, almost 70s-style Joker they're going yeah. for. Yeah, the film opens with an animated prologue <clears throat> to catch <throat> you up if you didn't see Suicide Squad. <clears throat> and it's kind of interesting because... Harley as represented in that even Harley I would say is represented more traditionally through most of that animated segment than she uh, usually is yes, in Suicide Squad yeah. uh, she does, She is in the Suicide Squad costume when they cover aspects of that movie in the in the prologue but otherwise the Joker is very he actually reminded me of the one from the original design from the animated series not that yeah. terrible uh, the, redesign the Mark Hamill yeah. yeah but yeah very traditional Joker almost like yeah, we're going Joker everyone <laughs> we're, br- we're brushing Jared Leto under the carpet just pretend it didn't happen pretend it didn't happen and I like she basically summarized the plot of Suicide Squad in one sentence of her back like her life yeah. story one and very long this, sentence and I did that yeah. and then I broke out and then I saved the world and then this happens yeah. I just want to say if we do see the Joker again and he's recast you know to be more, the more traditional version Christian Slater <laughs> as Jack Nicholson's Joker so just mm. him impersonating him that That's would be good but I don't know if he's a big enough name <laughs> yeah I'd like to see that though. I'm sure Christian Slater would like to see that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure his accountant would as well. Yes. He's like DMing you on Twitter right now, so anyway. Yes. For God's sake, Christian, I do not control DC properties. <laughs> How many more times? I think this also goes for the visual aesthetic as well. Very, very colourful, very yeah. strikingly yeah. so, I thought. Very frantic. I quite liked that aspect of the movie. It felt a lot more colourful, especially when I was doing it like AB comparing to Suicide Squad, which I would describe as almost bubblegum brutalism, if I could describe it in a phrase, because they clearly shot that movie to be darker and much more keeping with the Snyder aesthetic. Yeah. And so it's it's all grey, it's all dark it's fairly hard to see most of the time but the editing transitions they would put on pink glowing warp effects and things like that and it would completely jar with the footage that they'd shot yeah they tried to colorify, make it colourful in post-production which you know I have no experience with that in my own show you know making stuff like ugly and colourful at the same time <laughs> well do you know what struck me and I was thinking about this just coming off I haven't seen Joker but I've seen all the trailers and all the memes I felt that Gotham really did kind of vibrate as a modern New York City. I know that it's mm. meant to yeah. be New York City, but we're not supposed to say. But I felt that you have the modern parts where she's, you know, running through very, like, you know, minority-based and ethnic communities. In the in earlier Batman films and stuff, you never really saw. No, and yeah. it was kind of like this kind of Tim Burton, very animated series, very gothic, very dark. But I kind of felt like they acknowledged that that was the past of Gotham, because mm. the two times you see that Burton aesthetic is when they're in the uh, the rundown amusement park and then the uh, the broken down and rotting Founders Pier, which was very dark. You know, when they hit those gates, I thought that was, oh, it must be Arkham Asylum, but no, it's this mm. abandoned pier, so mm. kind of like saying, this was Gotham, but this is modern Gotham. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it feels like a very populous place, actually, uh, in a way that it perhaps doesn't in a lot of other uh, Batman movies. It feels like an actual place with genuine people in it. I mean, there's yeah. literally a scene where the characters go to a grocery store. How often do you see that in exactly. the studio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one thing I really loved is in the in the car chase, the license plates. I love details in movies. It's all, it said Gotham and had a pretendy license plate number, but it was in the white and blue color scheme of the state of New York. And I was like, mm. good yeah. detail. Yeah. yeah, previously Gotham, you either have the Tim Burton thing, which also was in Batman Begins, mm. or you've got it's just clearly just a different American city. Like uh, Dark, Dark Knight, it was just Chicago. 
Yeah. Well, that one, it's more like it's an actual individual place. They really, you know, tidied the place up since Joker. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a good 40 years for Gotham. It's, it's funny that you mentioned Joker because I was definitely thinking of that to oh, a certain you. extent and how much this felt like very breezy fun in a lot of ways, whereas Joker to me felt like a chore. It felt like very monotonously nihilistic. Like, we're taking this so seriously, and therefore it has to be incredibly dark at all times. It's Whereas, literally Taxi Driver. Yeah, it's literally Taxi Driver meets King of Comedy. We are literally borrowing our entire aesthetic from Scorsese movies. If only we could have got Robert De Niro. Oh, wait, we did. We yes. did, and he doesn't really do very much <laughs> in it. <laughs> Actually, I want a Joker sequel about Egghead. Oh, Egghead and King Tut. Yeah. Yeah. They they join up to beat shame. There yeah. we are. Because <laughs> all the 60s Batman villains nobody remembers. <laughs> to be honest, my, my, my final thoughts on Joker was mostly, I wish this was done with any other Batman villain other than Joker. Give us a Clayface movie exactly like oh, the Joker movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that point where, like, you know, with Clay, at least in the animated series that it was all about his hubris. Yeah. Like, you were your own downfall, and now you've no one to blame. You can blame Rupert Thorne if you want, but it's your own fault for wanting to be, you know, who you are. Hmm. But, yeah, you got the, you could also do a good series film about uh, Mr. Freeze based on the, yeah. the Batman, the animated series yeah. version. Hmm. Or you could do what they did in Batman and Robin, where you go, oh, we couldn't cast Patrick Stewart. Let's get Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. They're so similar, nobody will even tell. Arnie, as this in this in a serious version of Mr. Freeze history, would be hilarious. It would be quite fantastic. <laughs> Same sort of aesthetic as Maggie. Yes. Yeah. He's, all, he's all old, and he knows he only really has a few years left to create to to finish his his master life work. Yeah. yeah. DC, you should definitely hire us, and by that I mean you should definitely not hire us. These are terrible ideas. <laughs> Twitter will love it. Birds of Prey just felt so refreshing, especially coming straight after that film. If you were talking about yeah. sort of standalone one-shots, you got Joker, which is very actively ashamed of being a comic book movie, and I think I can very yeah, definitely I... say that, considering that Todd Phillips has made no secret of how much he hates comic book movies and superhero movies, and then he directed one, because of course he did. <laughs> this did feel like, that's, that's the one thing I thought, this feels like a comic book movie. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like, like yeah, like you're home you know, after you've done your homework and you put on, I forget what channel, you know, the animated series was on or Justice League and mm. like, it's stupid fun. It acknowledges that that's what you're here for, but you'll get it in a good way. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that they really embrace the aesthetic. What I really got a sense of uh, especially watching interviews with Margot Robbie, is that she really gets that character. She really gets Harley, really likes Harley as a character. Apparently when she was researching Suicide Squad, she threw herself into reading all the Harley Quinn books. You can definitely tell there's a lot of influences from various Harley Quinn books scattered all across Birds of Prey. Ironically, though, yeah. not from the Harley Quinn from Birds of Prey, the live-action TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. No. It's me, oh. Will Psychiatrist. Oh, man, that existed. Oh. <laughs> I have a Oh. It's interesting how they have very much, as you say, embraced the um, comic book aesthetic, you know, some of the angles, some of the presentation, but it's very sweary and quite bloody. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not Hard kids. Up. 
yeah. comic books by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, yeah. Very, very hard are actually. I'm surprised just how sweary it was. Yeah, they, they give a lot of fucks, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, they do. They yeah. do. And, a lot of dislocations yeah. and yeah. complex fractures. The old god, yes. Yeah. With the car, and I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking of that exact moment, the fight scene in the evidence room, uh, which the action scenes are really well staged throughout this entire movie, and I really liked particularly how crunchy they were in a lot of ways, and horrible things happen to the human body, really yeah. horrible They really things. don't like legs in this yeah. film. <laughs> legs need to bend backwards, apparently. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a running motif that Harley Quinn has to break people's legs, apparently, over the course of this film, because you mentioned the bit with the car. The oh. bit with the car, I watched that, and that's a bit that could easily be in a John Wick movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 So the guy oh. gets in the in the car, and uh, Harley breaks his knee in the car door, then breaks the other knee, kicks yeah. it out, then kicks out the first yeah, knee yeah, yeah. Who that he falls over. And he finally falls, I'm like, oh, thank God, just let him fall. Yeah. Stay course, down, dude, stay down. That is, of course, after the bit where she dives on the chauffeur's legs oh. and breaks them. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a, that's a sound effect. Yeah. Oh, God. oh, I'm a little bit baffled as to why Black Mask only wore his mask for a tiny bit of the film. He should have worn it every time he tortured someone. Uh, like I, I, would, I would tell you the reason why is oh. because there, there is always this thing of, oh, well, we've hired the big name actor, don't yeah. hide their face. It's the one thing that really annoys me about comic book movies, because the same thing happened with Deadshot in Suicide Squad, yeah. where Deadshot has this mask, but the, he barely uses it in active combat, and only when you can yeah. clearly tell that they're trying to double for Will yeah. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sad, the black mask, it, was per- it looked just like the one in, Ar- in the Arkham City. Mm. Like, I don't know much about the comics but it was like, such a wonderful recreation and it's like he only wore it too t- disappointing the whole character how spoilery can we get on this I think we'll just go full spoiler from this point forward right good um, <laughs> spoilers begin now so they literally kill off Black Mask at the end and he's yeah. gone but they kind of had this set up throughout it because in the comics he's got like his face burned off and I, I forget if the mask is burned onto his face or he has to wear it because he's got no Isn't face that or, so that, yes it's basically every character in every film <laughs> of this type but, um, so they set it up with like the irony of oh he peels people's faces off in the film so oh something's going to happen to his face and all this kind of thing and the mask looks he, like very, a burnt he's very face, obsessed you know? About his vanity. That was. Yeah. I really liked Hugh McGregor's performance in this. Where he was having a fucking ball. He, he really was, wasn't he? You yeah. know what he reminded me of? Chris Hemsworth in the Ghostbusters reboot, mm. who is obviously just let go to improv as yeah. much as he wanted. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. He. You can clearly tell that Hugh McGregor was given license to. Okay, we're going to see how far we can push this. It's really hammy in certain scenes but then just about the right sort of menacing in other certain moments he's very creepy like like he's got this room with like you know serial killer porn art on the wall and he's having a serious phone conversation a dramatic moment I found myself thinking at what point do you just commit yourself to the serial killer wall art like did you hate that (laughs) did you commission an artist to come in and be like I'm looking like a serial killer wall art actually say no more of him I got you well he did he did commission an actual statue of himself just to really hammer home the fact he's quite vain yes. well that and the fact he was literally getting Botox injected into his face yes, yes that's true at the start of that scene yeah. <laughs> yeah. so they set up all this thing don't they of yeah. him being very vain and all that and all but there's the skull mask and he's peeling people's face off but then he doesn't lose his face he just gets killed well the irony is in the sequel they're going to reveal that all was left is his face 
crawling like an the first scene with Black Mask I think is that one in the pier where no it's the second scene that we see him in with the Chinese gangsters and he's taking the family and peels off the face and I go oh this is going to go really hard for him it's going to go very hard and there's really no ambiguity they couldn't really bring him back in a sequel because he literally explodes he literally explodes yeah Cassandra pulls the grenade off inside and goes pushed off a bridge and boom as you say just the face would be left if they did anything I liked the subversion as well I was expecting him to explode when he hit the water no he exploded halfway through the fall so okay yeah. Roman Sanus has a secret twin brother, R- Ronan Sanus, who wears that Roman Sanus's face as his black mask. There we go. Nice. Because <laughs> it's a burned mask. Todd face. Phillips will be on that one, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. yeah McGregor's so great in the movie, and he ha- he really does have some standout moments in it. The one scene that I found particularly creepy, you can definitely tell that when they were envisioning his character, he was definitely an embodiment of someone who is incredibly insecure about themselves, constantly worrying about his own masculinity and all that. And the scene that really hammers that home is the bit where he misconstrues woman laughing at a table across and forcibly humiliates her and gets her to dance on the table and gets one of her associates to strip off her dress. It's a really nasty, uncomfortable scene. Because she's still got her bra and underpants on, so she's not naked. But she's obviously having, like, a serious panic attack over this that she's, you know, been exposed like that. And even just that, like, I mean, they could have gone worse and, like, you know, had her completely nude. But even just that, if you were sitting there in the crowd watching this happen and this woman's just, like, exposed in front of you. Am I the only one picked up on the subject that, you know, if if Zaz and and, and Black Mask just, you know, fucked a couple of times, everyone would be much happier in this film? (laughs) Yeah, there there is an interesting dynamic there, yes. A lot of a lot yeah. of bad stuff wouldn't have happened if they just gave into their feelings for each other. It's kind of like a Smithers and uh, yeah, <laughs> 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 Harley, like that, yeah. Harley literally describes Zaz as being his BFF. Uh, yeah, at one point. it kind of isn't. But Zaz really does egg him on, doesn't he? Yeah. Like in the scene where he's humiliating him, are they laughing? Are they laughing at me? And he just goes, Yeah, yeah, they are. Do you know Should, what? They're not. Zaz, you liar. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what that made me think of? And it's the stupidest thing. Inherit the wind. Uh, where the, uh, the, the the main lawyer defending evolution, you know, everyone's leaving and he hears people laughing and he says to his wife, they're laughing at me, mother. And she's like, no, 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 they're not. And I, I can't stand it when they laugh at me. Mm. And that's to portray, oh, that, that's, the, you know, that's his inner child and things and stuff. And I don't know, it was a very complex character. And yeah, I wish he would come back for the sequel. But yeah. You can definitely tell that he really desperately wants to be taken seriously. Yeah. All of it comes from the fact that he wants to be taken seriously. So whenever someone laughs in his face, it really gets on his nerves. Oh, like the, the head of the Golden Lions yeah. Uh, song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just very dismissive of him, isn't it? We've been here for ages. We don't need you, boy. <laughs> Three minutes later carving his face off. <laughs> teach him for not having nice manners. What I liked about it was that graphic novel aesthetic, and especially the way the movie is told through Harley's perspective, who is obviously uh, an unreliable narrator, to say the least. But that is, to the movie's benefit and detraction as well, I feel, because the way the narrative is structured is basically going forward, then backwards, then forwards, then backwards. Yeah. Mm. And then goes sort of sideways, going to the mm. cul-de-sac. Mm. It, yeah, it's... reverses up a bit, yeah, gets some petrol. If, and, if yeah. you don't pay attention, it's very easy we to get lost in some parts of it, but working out what came before what. Yeah. 
And that felt to me a little bit unnecessary. I mean, I can understand it because obviously they're trying to go for a stream of consciousness kind of aesthetic yeah. where she's recounting this thing and then you go, oh, I forgot this detail. And just sort of rewind. It happens to such an extent that it does become quite distracting because there is the point about maybe half an hour in where she's storming the police station and we don't understand how she's got there yet. Yeah. And then the movie has to do a very, very long flashback at that point. I forgot that was a flashback. Yeah. 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 And she's like, so that brings me down. I'm like, oh, right, yes, yes, of course. But yeah. It was like 15 minutes. It was like half the movie up to that point. It, it was a flashback. Yeah, it was about, it was a good 15, 20 minutes of the running time to yeah. backtrack to that moment. Which was just confusing. It felt to me like one of those things where I would go, okay, we need to tell this somewhat linearly because otherwise it's just getting a little bit unclear. And that was what I felt about it was that yeah, at the starts where it's kind of jumping back and forth, like you could get away with that. But yeah. then after a certain point, you go, okay, this is starting to mess around with the movie's momentum. And yeah. that's what I felt. It did feel different. I wouldn't say it dragged in the second act, but it did feel much slower than the rest of the film. I wasn't yeah. like looking at a watch or anything, you know. Yeah, but, uh... I wasn't really out of the movie at any point. I was always engaged with it. Yeah. But I always felt like they could have told that in a linear fashion. It would be more engaging mm. that way instead of just playing this game of hopscotch. Across yeah. The it's, it's, yeah. One thing I did like is the first time in a least live action thing, or at least the first time I've ever noticed, Harley Quinn actually using her fact that she's got a doctorate in psychology. I really yes. appreciate yeah. that. She's, that there's, there's one thing that has so pissed me off about the character. I think we, when we did the, the Suicide Squad vlog, I said, is for God's sake, she went to medical school. She has an MD and a PhD. She is a psychiatrist. She's a mental health professional. She's always played off as a stupid blonde. And that was my thing. Yeah. Like, oh, well, her, the Joker broke her mind. Okay, fair enough. Mental illness does not remove IQ. Those are two separate Constructs. Yeah. It didn't wipe sorry. her memory of all the years that she'd have spent yeah. training, did it? Like, you know? yeah. yeah. Oh, suddenly, God. like, I don't know how to do statistics anymore. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so creepy. Yeah, that again goes back to the fact that I, I get the impression that Margot Robbie really gets the character, yeah. knows what to do with the character. And so there are definitely... I think there was a couple of little tiny moments in Squad where you could kind of pick up that she was reading people all the time. The secret with Harley Quinn is that she gives the impression of, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a ditzy sort of Harley Quinn. And oh, actually she's just reading people the entire time and playing people the entire time. But de- I like that, finally. Yeah. But definitely in Birds of Pray they push that to the forefront at certain moments, particularly yeah. when she's uh, with uh, Cassandra in the car and she gives a full psychological breakdown. <laughs> Remind me, Cassandra Kane, does that character become Batwoman or Batgirl? Bat yes, oh, I've got that right, haven't I? I was trying to remember. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure she had a very different origin in the comic. I'm not entirely sure. She was raised in some sort of super secret thing and she got powers of like something to do with uh, fighting hand to hand. And then she became Batgirl, so this slightly is, different character. Yeah, that's considerably different, yes. Like At no stage does she have to shit out a diamond, yeah. which is a plot point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, you know what I really want to see now? This is stupid, it'll never happen. I really want to see a crossover with Cassandra Kane and Harley Quinn mm. and Deadpool and then the, the New Zealand mutant kid with, a, with the firepowers. Would that not be wall breaking <laughs> and fantastic? <laughs> yeah, uh, this is like someone took Suicide Squad and then looked at Deadpool and then they were like, that's better, let's do that. This is mm-hmm. I, I've heard people describe this as being the DC Deadpool. You know what? It is actually a fair comparison. It has a lot more in common with Deadpool that is Suicide Squad in that both Deadpool and Birds of Prey have unreliable narrators and both of them have narratives that go forward and backwards in the same way that Deadpool does. It's also 
for about the same amount of time where Birds of Prey does that for I'd say the first half of its running time and Deadpool does that for the first half of its running time and I remember when I reviewed Deadpool I had the similar criticism okay this constant flashbacky structure I'm not sure if it really works because I was less invested in the flashback stuff than I was in the stuff that was going on now that wasn't really as much of a problem in Birds of Prey but I was still thinking I'm less engaged in this flashback stuff because it's not happening now there's less immediacy to it especially because it breaks up that sequence in the police station which is so you've got a major action beat and then they stop it for about 15 minutes and then right back in the beat (laughs) it was a beautiful breakfast sandwich though yeah, it did look good. The yeah. second I saw the eggs track, I thought, "Oh no, Chekhov sandwich." She's not, she's not <laughs> yeah. eating that today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to reappear at the end, yes. and it did. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also uh, interesting to talk about this because this is directed by Kathy uh, Ann. Because this is a year where we have a whole host of superhero movies, largely directed by women. We've got Wonder Woman 1984 coming out. I think the only exception is, ironically, the New Mutants, because that is several years old. Oh, yes, <laughs> as you can tell by looking at several of the actors who now. Like, is that what? Is like, like, so that Botox? So yes. was, that, was that wee girl Maisie Williams? Yes, it was. Yes. Yeah. Oh, because I was like, wow, that wee girl looks like Maisie Williams, but yeah. she's like, what, 25 now? Like, yep. No, yeah. two years ago three years ago yeah. I don't pay attention so <laughs> <laughs> she's playing Wolfsbane who is one of my favourite X-Men characters oh right she's right, a Scottish playing. werewolf okay yeah mm-hmm. we got the trailer for New Mutants in front of it in case you didn't know there was one fairly amusing moment so I'm pretty sure the guy who sat behind us was drunk I was yes. ex- yeah. I, was, I, I, I had to do the, 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 the polite mm. Turn around. Oh, sorry. Mm. <laughs> People were talking. Was he talking through the movie? Because I not parts. Yes, a yeah. little bit. It wasn't. It wasn't as bad as I feared before yeah. it began. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was fearing it before it began because we got a trailer for a Valentine's yeah. reissue of Ghost, which prompted the hilarious response. Did they fucking remake Ghost? <laughs> yeah. It looks the fucking same. Yes, there's a reason for that. <laughs> Although no one heard my comment after Ghost, you know, after it finished, the trailer finished, it's like, from the director of Airplane. I like the idea that Gus Van Sant has done a shot for shot remake of Ghost. Something I wasn't massively impressed with in the film was the Huntress. I felt like if somebody had given me the script for the film, I'd have been like, well, what's this character doing in there? It's not yeah, really adding anything. That barely was actually in it. the same complaint that I yeah. had. in the, I Just really, there to set up the character for sequels, presumably. I really mm. like Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a performer. Yeah, I think she's an incredibly too. talented uh, actor. And she's great in stuff. She felt a bit underutilised here. Hugely uh, so. Yeah, Hunt- yeah, Huntress doesn't really become a prominent character properly until the third act. She's in the movie, but she's... Very very peripheral to what's actually going on. Hugely, so literally just turns up and sort of the edges, something happens, then gone, or mentioned by somebody else. She was basically a Tarantino character who just wandered into the film occasionally. (laughs) From the set next door. Yeah. And I really liked how she didn't know what she was, like she was practicing badass lines in the mirror, and then at the end of everyone's celebration, she's like, yes, I will fist bump as well. Look at me acting like a human. I thought, (laughs) this is the aesthetic of a character who was raised by assassins in the Sicilian mountains. Okay, I get that. But I I have a problem with with faces so i'm always saying gone who's that like i said who's playing who's playing the bad guy and you were like you and maria i'm like oh right that's why i know his face but i was like who is she i know her all from scott pilgrim right i know i've seen her toss short hair before okay (laughs) (laughs) i wish that she was in this movie more because i I really liked her performance of someone who is trying to give the impression that they are they are a badass uh, i think as harley as harley describes it she's got she's got the killing thing down she just hasn't got anything else down (laughs) (laughs) i'm end hero 
<laughs> it doesn't bring a whole lot to the story ultimately either. I mean, if you were to cut yeah. her part out, it wouldn't affect the overal narrative. The at only all, really, thing that, that she's really there for is because obviously this is to set out the Birds of Prey as separate characters in the DC universe. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. obviously it turns out, of course, that the diamond is related to her family fortune. Yeah, that's a weird thing. That doubling up of the MacGuffin. Yeah. We've got this diamond. It's worth a fortune. Okay, but also it's got a secret code in it. Well, it doesn't matter. It's already a fucking diamond. It's, it's already worth a fortune. Yeah, you've got to double down for the character. I totally somehow missed the second part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why he wanted the laser encoding yeah. expert because the, the things... There was a laser inside. encoding expert? There was a throwaway line. Mm, that, oh, yeah. How much did I miss? What no, they they <laughs> that, that really was literally one line. It was line. the scene yeah. where, where Rosie Perez was getting chewed out by her boss and she keeps trying to be like, oh, but look all this, all this, all the clues I was distracted I by her captain because he looked like Keith David but 20 years ago. <laughs> the Keith David time warp it's come back yeah but you do feel like the, this sort of encoding of the secret code or whatever inside to access the forge that's just kind of something they've added to try yeah. and integrate Huntress a bit more and it doesn't Feel, feels like a work. bolt on yeah exactly see I thought the, I thought the thing was going to be when they were all lined up and shot that she would have had the diamond on her and it deflected the bullet the way that that was set up reminded me of like oh they're going for like you know assassination of the Romanov family kind of thing where they're all gunned down but the diamond deflects the bullet and that's how she lives and and I was like, oh. They also try to do something with the um, with so she's handed in that sequence where her family has gone down a toy car, isn't yeah. it? But I didn't yeah. really register it was a toy no. car until later. This yeah. is exactly the same. They hand this small purple toy car. Hang on to this, and it's just something so she focuses on that and not everyone being murdered around her. It probably wouldn't work. I imagine seeing your whole family murdered is quite distracting. <laughs> um, you can't see it's a toy car. And I was like, it's, what it's is this? It's because the close up is her grasping it, and I couldn't yeah, work out was, what it was. It was her little brother. They yeah. they hold hands, and he passes the toy car to her. Mm. And what I was thinking when she gives it to uh, Cassandra, Cassandra at the mm. end is that inadvertently, because he handed it to her, that's what she inadvertently focused on, mm. and that was kind of the center of her trauma. And so she, okay, well, I had this, oh shit, you need some kind of transitory item to focus on. Mm -hmm. Here, just think about the car and the grant. That's a nice little character moment if they properly established it. It, it, looked, like yeah. flash, it looked like a yeah. flash drive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, like, I thought it was some sort of yeah. weird technological yeah. device, like yeah. a GPS or something. You know? I mean, that, that was a little bit of a shame there, because that is... Because <laughs> otherwise... It will <laughs> <laughs> tell you where to go. Anywhere but where there is shooting. Oh, now it, you're telling it's me. It's a shame, because otherwise, that's a good example of all the nice character stuff that is in this film, because mm. honestly, it's not that big of a movie. It really isn't. It's a fairly small, fairly contained story that just happens to be going on in the Gotham underworld over the space of largely a day. It's very much based around the interactions of the characters. Uh, I think I mentioned this on Twitter when I saw the clip of the fight scene at the end. When Harley hands the hair tie during the fight scene to Black Canary, yeah, that was a nice touch, wasn't it? Again, a further reiteration of, oh, this is directed by a woman. Definitely a detail that you could clearly tell. Yeah. I, I love Black Canary because I, again, my thing with faces, the actress had pulled off this really great thing of looking, you know, in all of her roles as a henchman, looking very like servile and servitude and yes, boss, of course, but had did had this eye thing going on that said, what the fuck? Mm. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, I should mention uh, Journey Smet Bell, who played her, just because I forgot to mention her name in the, what, in the synopsis. In what, what I, I think she's actually relatively new. I couldn't actually tell you if she was actually in anything previously. Well, she's great, guys. Yeah. Uh, they, I'll find out. 
<laughs> that character was utilised far better than Huntress, I thought, actually. Oh, yeah, much more integrated into the narrative. I also like the way when she finally uses her power at the end, which you know is coming, she collapses immediately afterwards because there's your answer as to why she didn't use it earlier because she'd yeah. only do it the once and then is literally incapacitated. Yeah, they set it up uh, with her breaking the, the glass, uh, the app and... but then they don't really keep reminding you of it until no, the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that, like, you have the same power as your mum, why don't you... No, no, no. And I like the fact that in Marvel there's this very clear of the getting of powers and the realising that you are so different from everyone else and you're almost on this other level, like like mutants, you know, versus regular humans. But in this, everyone's just really good at fighting, except for Black Canary who has this one skill that's only used in dire purposes and that's it no one else is really supernatural or anything she's in a she's in a bunch of tv shows including the upcoming lovecraft county but in in 2012 she was in a short film called captain planet 4 where she played gaia oh (laughs) that sounds like a youtube thing (laughs) (laughs) was captain planet played by um oh i mean roadie roadie yes i can't remember the actor's name that's gonna bug me for the rest of my life I'll just tell you to shout it out in ten minutes' time. <laughs> the other thing that uh, made it very clear that it was directed by a woman, uh, Harley Quinn's costumes, far better than they were in oh, Suicide Squad. God, so, yeah. It, that was one of the main complaints I had with Suicide Squad. In fact, actually, a lot of how they treated Harley in Suicide Squad was ma- one of my major complaints about that movie, because Suicide Squad, you can clearly tell, the, the whole reason it exists is because we need to set up loads and loads of villains very quickly in the DC yeah. universe. And that means that the first 40 minutes of the movie are pure exposition and does no justice to those characters whatsoever and particularly with the relationship that Harley has with the Joker which could be an entire movie all by itself yeah. and the fact that in the recutting they try to make that into a, oh they're just madly in love they're just psychotically in love it's not mm. super abusive and toxic and her superpower is she's really crazy yeah also has a butt. Yeah. Yes. And her butt. Every, every single time you focus on Harley, she's in a way that it's like the butt first. Her costume in that movie is awful. Unbelievably yeah. awful. It's be- it's meant to be based on... Is it Deborah Harry? I think it is Deborah oh, Harry. Oh, for Blondie, yeah. Yeah. I think there is literally a photo of the look that they directly copied with the white and red top and the uh, hot pants. But the entire way that David Ayer frames it is usually in such a way that I thought I was almost getting Margot Robbie's colonoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a review I read of it when it came out and said, I don't really get this Harley Quinn character. Shouldn't she just be called Disco Titties? I thought, yeah, that's about all there is. Actually, There's not much characterization or anything. It's nice that they've actually fleshed it out and actually feels more like a person. Yeah. Again, it's it's an example of where Robbie's performance in that movie is better than the material than she was given. Whereas in Birds of Prey, you can definitely tell that... because she had a hands-on producer's role on this as well, she produced the movie, you can definitely tell she wanted to include certain aspects of that character and definitely wanted to make it better on herself than she was in that movie. I don't think yeah. she had a particularly great time in that costume. I just got the impression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be surprised if she did. Bloody <laughs> it was Don Cheadle, by the way. Don Cheadle. I told you I'd suddenly shout it out. There we yeah. are. <laughs> I liked Harley Quinn's costume in this, actually. The sort of yellow trousers and the pink top, but also she will wore that incredibly frilly... Um, yeah, like a... What you described as like yeah. boa stroke epaulettes. I really yeah. don't know. I'm sure there's a term for I'm it. I'm pretty but... sure I've seen characters wear that in like 
1930s movies about freak shows. It might have been one of the outfits that was worn by one of the characters in Freaks, the like the bird lady or something. Mm. I've seen something with that. At a distance, it's like fake feathers. Mm. I've, I've seen that before. But it's very, very reflective on Harley's uh, costume. Yeah. And like, mm. It kind of has that aesthetic that suits that character perfectly without having to dress up literally as a Harlequin. It kind of has that kind of funhouse aesthetic, I would best describe it Yeah, as. like the, the reflective mm. aspect. Like when she when she's stumbling out of the, the barrio and then she's going to steal the truck, I thought to myself, that is exactly, you know, every, that one friend that you have that gets super, super drunk on every night out, makes a complete asshole of herself, you know, just such a hot mess. And, but you knew she was a hot mess when you invited her out. Yeah. It was just like the perfect, like, end of the night, still drunk, not hungover yet kind of thing going on. Ha- Harley Quinn is the embodiment of hot mess. In this. Yeah, she, is. <laughs> she instigates the film in a drunken state by blowing up ace chemicals, <laughs> by just hijacking the truck. And it's like, this is a great idea. She didn't really think this thing through. <laughs> I really love how everyone in the town immediately caught the intricate symbolism. <laughs> yeah, <that>. Yes, that <laughs> did seem a bit on the nose, didn't it? Like, no. everyone's like, oh, Ace Chemicals, oh, that's Harley Quinn and the Joker breaking up, obviously. (laughs) What else could it possibly be? An explosion in a chemical factory? Somebody's broken up for somebody. Like, the cop getting it, that's fine, because, like, you know, she's obviously been researching into all this kind of stuff, but, like, how, like, everybody, like, I'm expecting, like, a barista to be like, oh, you know, Joker and Harley Quinn broke up. Here's your call. (laughs) I really wish that we could see her at some point, we saw it very briefly in Suicide Squad, but see her properly in the original Harley Quinn animated outfit, the Jester outfit. Because they do that in the animated segment, don't they? She is yeah, in the Jester yes. outfit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that's pretty good. And you saw for like one shot in Suicide Squad, the one shot in Suicide Squad where Jared Leto's Joker didn't look completely odious. They're recreating the famous Alex Ross cover, aren't they, where she's sort of, yeah, yeah. up yeah. the side of him. But, you, know, you see her the corset of that costume, which she gives to uh, Renee, doesn't yeah. she? But, yeah. It uses yeah. it as a bulletproof vest. It was mm. a bulletproof vest based on that costume. The second she yeah. got shot and fell, and I'm like, oh, they're going to reveal she's wearing bulletproof vest. Yeah. 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 Above and beyond the corset, well, she's a cop. Obviously, she would have a flak jacket somewhere. Cops they just keep them around. Like, yeah. They certainly do in films, usually. They, they did describe Renee as someone who has grown up on 80s yeah. cop movies and mm. talks in all the cliches, and I kind of liked that. As I, well. I, They definitely leaned into it. And I just remembered how much I love Rosie Perez. Yeah. And it's, it's been a while, because I thought to myself, wow, it, it has been, what, like, at least... 25, 30 years since I saw her in that one where she plays a plays a waitress or a maid or something, and then the a guy wins the lottery and gets Oh, uh, it oh, could happen to you, yes. Nicolas Cage. She wasn't the one that played the waitress in that. That was Bridget Fonda. She played um, Nick Cage's wife. Is, right, yeah. right, but she was in that. No, and I, yeah. I, was, I said to my dad, who's that? Is oh, that's Rosie Perez. I was like, oh. It's nice to see Rosie Perez in the movie. As you said, it's been a while. So, especially because she has very she has a very major role. She's second yeah. build in the end mm. credits. And I was like, oh, I missed that somehow. Yeah. yeah. Nice getting like an older woman getting that role. I think the character's meant to be younger than that. Yeah. So she must have really like impressed him in the audition. So good on her. Well, I think the, the aspect with Renee as a character is that she's someone who has a lot of talent for investigation, but is always constantly usurped by men taking the credit for it. And again, that feels very pointed. And I think the, the fact that they made the constant decision to hire an older performer in that role is again a sort of a, an FU to the whole Hollywood casting convention of just casting younger women in the movie. I think yeah. that was 
again, a very deliberate choice that you would see in a movie that is largely written, directed, and produced by women. <laughs> yeah. And I like that, you know, it was kind of the things like, oh, this is a woman who, this isn't DA, and, you know, they're exes, they have a history and stuff like that. I feel that it was a very realistic depiction of your ex, hmm. that someone's like, okay, yeah, I'll bend the rules because it's you, yeah. even though we're not together anymore. Yeah, Ali Wong plays her ex, yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I thought that was pretty good, you know. Mm. I'm not suggesting that they should have put this guy into the film, but narratively, it seems that the Joker should have had some sort of a part in the film later on. Just even some sort of a small part of it, because that part of the relationship, it seems to be missing something that it's like they break up, there's this massive big thing, it's all, you know, it's everything is reverberating from that, and then he never turns up again. The only new Joker footage in this movie is a back of the head when, yeah. oh. um, so they do a running gag in this movie of all the times that Harley has pissed people off. And occasionally they show flashbacks, and one of them is a guy that she got the Joker to forcibly tattoo. That is probably the one new instance of actual Joker footage in this movie. Yeah, like some point near the end of the film, there's something, like narratively it would have worked very, very well, and it didn't happen because of Jared Leto. Well, here's what I was thinking, and if they're smart they'll do this, so pay me money. Um, (laughs) Like, Batman's not here, and I'm betting he's off doing Justice League, you know, that that this takes place during that kind of time, so he's off doing whatever Batman does in that movie. But then I thought to myself, yeah, if they were mostly. Yeah, if they were really smart, that would be the reason why Joker or Penguin or any of the major league uh, Gotham bad guys aren't there because there's going to be a movie that's going to come maybe a mm. year or two down the line that's going to show what was going on right then because I thought to myself, why? It's it's really weird that like Batman's not swooped in to do something. Yeah. It's basically one cop's like, oh, there's some crime going on. Oh, yeah, but it's not like, you know, was it Apocalypse the bad guy from... No. Uh, oh, Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. It was Steppenwolf. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, it's not it's a Steppen- Steppenwolf. nothing, as they portrayed him. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Steppenwolf-level event. It was so, John Franklin. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we just need... The, the cops can actually handle this crime. So if they were really smart, there'd be a reason. I imagine that whole other movie they'll want Harley Quinn in though I I think it's fairly interesting to watch this movie it's technically a movie set in the world of Gotham that neither has Batman or Joker in it two of the biggest characters in it so I think that is interesting all by itself I have to admit I definitely did think a couple of times like this definitely seems like a situation where Batman would get involved at some point but uh, let's go right to voicemail you know he's off Injustice League. It's representative of the fact that DC, uh, uh, as a film universe, is very much in transition, as it always has been. It's, to be honest. Say, it's never stopped, has it? <laughs> but uh, definitely mm. right now, where obviously we're getting the Robert Hansen Batman, which is filming right now, as I understand it. So they're now changing between actors, and no one knows what's really going on. So that's yeah. more the decision so that has voiced that. Continuity as the other ones are not. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. That's interesting because they were so desperate to set up their own cinematic universe, and it's gone completely the other way. Every film almost seems encapsulated yeah. from the others. Yeah, know? it's almost a bit of a shame actually that there is no real cohesiveness of the DC universe in the same way that the Marvel films do in in yeah. one way it's a benefit because you get a movie like this I don't think a movie like this would have come out of the sort of okay we need to build everything towards this thing yeah you know the sort of Justice League thinking Marvel's is traditional television storytelling on the big screen while yeah. all these can be individual things only really worried about sequels maybe but trying yeah. to do just the films individually 
Mm. Although I will say that it's still very amusing that the DC logo at the beginning of the film is very obviously <laughs> uh, Justice League inspired. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, uh, like, maybe they should read this. People, like, the fuck are they like? <laughs> it's like, yeah, um, here's all the Snyder Justice League designs. Oh, and Green Lantern, uh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Generic Green Lantern. Yes. yes. And Not Ryan like, Reynolds. At some point, maybe you might want to redesign that logo so it's less embarrassing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Remember all our failures, guys? Look. It also does not fit the tone of this movie at all, so which um it absolutely it really does feel edited. I'm surprised they didn't do some sort of like, you know, different version for this one where you know, like you have all the bits where Harlot where they they've taken the images of the film, they've like drawn on them. They could have mm. easily done the, the intro part with the DC stuff and like, you know, defaced. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, she does deface it as it disappears because she draws a smiley I, face over it, doesn't she? Yeah, like individually, she yeah. face Yeah, moustache on Green Lantern or something. Well, here's a question that I have because you people are film people, you notice mm. all of this stuff. I was thinking, Bruce the Hyena, was that a German shepherd that had had CGI work done or was that an actual trained hyena? Because I couldn't tell. It was definitely CG in some scenes, the ones where Robbie was near it. I'm, I'm almost going to say that was almost entirely a CG creation. Because I was thinking like when she bent down and licking her, I'm like, I bet that that was mo-capped with probably like a German Shepherd or like a big dog like that and then CGI built from there. Probably. Quite possibly, yeah. yeah. Quite possibly. I, I definitely thought that it never looked entirely real. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't That's tell the thing, if yeah. it was like, you know, has work been done or is this, no, they wouldn't use a trained hyena. Mm. Yeah. It's also, the game something else massively underused to the point where you wonder why it's in the film it's a well, the trailer is it a, is yeah. it a, maybe it's a fan thing yeah. like yeah yeah she had yeah. a hyena yeah it's the same with this stuff beaver thing from the comics but then it disappears from the movie because it seemingly gets blown up but yeah. then they backtrack on it it's, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's like it's there oh I guess blown up she's really sad for 10 seconds anyway on with the film Oh, it turns out it's fine. Pretty sure we just saw that explode. Is that what they do with Black Mask? <laughs> no, he's just wandering the streets. He got in the back of the car. <laughs> Intestines sort of leaking. <laughs> <Yeah, it's, laughs> something from like Brain the, Dead the or something. Killer Croc offered yeah. him a biscuit and he came with him. <laughs> right, right at the end, they should have given us a flashback to what he was doing there. And, like, you know, you have him, like, eating a couple of minor Batman villains. Like, you know, the Condiment <laughs> yeah. King or something. Like, he's the Quilt like, Man or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy Quilt. <laughs> That's it, yes. <laughs> See, that would be a fun thing in a Harley Quinn sequel is have her encounter villains like the condiment man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. like, like, seriously? The penny, yeah. the penny plunderer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, see, no, he's had a makeover for the modern era and now he shoots Sriracha because if you get that in your eye, that'll really sting. <laughs> and the opposite of the penny plunderer would yeah. be the, you know, Captain Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> The Batman con- villains are great because they fall off such a qu- cliff so quickly. You know, you've got like five or six major ones, then you're getting into Killer Moth and stuff. And then there's this kind of substrata of the ludicrous I, ones. I loved Killer Moth in Arkham City mm. and the Arkham Asylum games. You never actually fight him, but you've got this little description of him where he cocoons people in like this acidic thing which dissolves them all. Yes. It's like they turn them into a totally fucked up thing, a bit like how they did with uh, like the Calendar King is so ridiculous. Yeah. But then they turned him into like Hannibal Lecter who will yeah. only kill people on special days in some to do with that day <laughs> and you can literally visit him in the prison yeah. on certain days and he'll give you a little calendar man yeah. update of what's going on <laughs> it's quite cleverly yeah. done yeah. but in a, in a like Hannibal Lecter type way, yeah, yeah. Yeah. even the most ridiculous Batman villains if you do them right you can make them into really disturbing so is calendar man's new sidekick Siri with the numbers filed off it should be so yeah. basically like everyone thinks it's just his like you know like smartphone assistant until like she finally appears <laughs> that would be nice I think the general thought that I have of this movie 
is that I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. It's really kind of breezy and violent. Actually, I would say it's weird to describe it as being breezy because it's properly dark in some it's places. A, yeah. But it has that lightness of touch to it that gets away with that. But I will say that it's a very messy, kind of scrappy movie in some ways yeah. still. But deliberately. Yeah. Uh, deliberately to some extent and then not so deliberately in others. The mm. one bit that definitely jarred with me is when Black Mask has uh, Harley, he smacks her in the face and she goes into this musical number that really yeah. doesn't have anything to do with anything that seems like a sequence that they elaborately spent a lot of money on and then realised it had no place in the movie anymore. It's very Moulin Rouge-esque. Yeah, I felt like a tip of the hat to the fact they had Ewan McGregor there, right. but it makes I no sense. That, yeah. It's good for the trailer. Yeah. It's, it's it is good for the trailer. It felt yeah. like a bit entirely made for the trailer uh, what was the song that she was singing Diamonds Are Good yeah. you know what because yeah. now that I think about it that was staged almost in the same way that Nicole Kidman's number was in Moulin Rouge so oh oh another thing they could have been going for Joker and Harley Quinn's relationship is abusive mm. and uh, her, him hitting her putting her into a musical number which is semi-romantic it could have been leading into that sort of thing and then, yeah. then it gets completely stopped when by other events yeah it's a bit of a weird moment I can sort of understand it from that sort of justification but in the middle of that scene it feels like a distraction and it doesn't really work because that's not really the dynamic those two characters have Black Mask definitely does not like her anyway. <laughs> no, no. the feeling I, is very mutual yes yeah. if you again if you wanted to go full symbolism on that I'm not saying that this is right or good but it could be that idea of like you know she says from the beginning my father sold me for a case of beer at six months and I kept trying to get his attention until he chucked me out Black Mask hits her and this kind of spins off into a world of possibilities. I'm not with a Joker anymore. This guy has a similar kind of thing going on. This could be a thing. And he hits her again. This is kind of unfortunate, but it reminded me of a friend that I hadn't seen in 10 years. And I said, oh, well, how's your husband? And she's all, we're not married anymore. I said, oh, gosh, what happened? She goes, well, he hit me the first time. And I said, you get, that's the one that you get. And he hit me the second time, and that was the end of it. Again, if you're wanting to go dig that deep, I'm not saying that they were meaning that, but... I, well, with Harley's, you know, obviously with her backstory and everything, yeah. you know, she comes from a very abusive background that's kind of reiterated several times. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was sort of the angle that they're going for. It just felt a bit muddled in that moment. I do think that Margot Robbie does like to play dress up a little bit. <laughs> this isn't the perfect Harley Quinn movie, but it's a better one. And it's mm. one that uh, Margot Robbie deserves to be in. It's, it's certainly not the car crash everyone expected. Yeah, and mm. it's not the car crash everyone said it would be yeah I, I would say it's definitely a good three and a half star movie I think people will get probably a little bit too hyped up because of the very high Rotten Tomatoes score but it's good it's solid and you know what for the DC universe solid is a very <laughs> big yeah, solid is bloody hell yeah, that's, <laughs> that's putting it in the top three or something yeah in the curve yeah, yeah. I, I feel like uh, with the recent slate of these DC films they've got so much better now they've liberated themselves largely from the Snyder influence mm. yeah because Snyder does doesn't get those characters, but Warner Brothers thought that he did, but mm. he didn't. <laughs> so where would you put this? Like, if you had to be like, I right, top five DC movies, where would you put this in the top five for DC? Uh, in the DC movies, not counting all the notes. No, no, stuff, not yeah. like, like the good Batman. Um, man, that's that's a really, really hey. tricky question. Mostly because I'm trying to remember all the uh, DC movies. Does the 60s like, do, Batman movie do, count? Does the, Lego, <laughs> does the Lego Batman movie count? Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Um, I suppose it, this is about on, maybe just a step below Shazam. I would say Shazam is probably the peak at the minute. Uh, I have seen Shazam. Mm. Should, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, 
worth a watch. Well worth a watch. Like Shazam, Aquaman, Birds of Prey, I would definitely put those near the top. Aquaman was incredibly amusing. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen Aquaman. I must get around to that. Uh, it's got a cage you played by Julie Andrews. A cage, Julie Andrews. Why was this not front, centre, <laughs> and the only thing in the trailer? It, it was came it's out got Willem same... Dafoe out playing against his type. And you don't you don't expect a plot twist because it's Willem Dafoe, and you're like, oh well, it's Willem Dafoe, so obviously it'll be the way. But it has people riding on sharks into battle and things yes, like that, riding on seahorses. But this came out at the same time as, as Mary Poppins Returns, and she refused to do a cameo for Mary Poppins Returns. But she did do a kaiju. In yes. That <laughs> Yeah. You've got to love Julie Andrews, haven't you? <laughs> Aquaman was very much kitchen sink, sort of, we're throwing in everything here, and yeah. it's two and a half hours long, and it's a oh, bit... That's it's indulgent. It was fucking nuts. It, but it was bonkers, but it was entertainingly bonkers, but I would that's definitely... Cool. I would say it's very hard to rank um, at the top three, in my opinion, Aquaman, Shazam, and Birds of Prey. I would say Birds of Prey, maybe second or third, depending on how I was feeling about Aquaman on any given day. I'd hate to give it this much credit, but I'd put Joker below Birds of Prey, just below that. But and is then, Joker even DCEU or is its own I, I, th- I think we should count it as DCEU uh, just because this a lot of Botox and came Jared Leto yeah and, and then <laughs> years and, later and then maybe and then maybe Justice League actually Man of Steel Batman v Superman let's switch Man of Steel and Justice League <laughs> no, <laughs> and then I, I don't even know why I put Suicide Squad that, like those, those ones below were, were like Justice, I, I maintain Justice League is better than Batman vs Superman but it's a lot less interesting yeah, yeah. I mean how would you rank those Badly. I don't even know why. But the problem is not having seen Aquaman. That kind of throws me into a loop for that. But I think Shazam has got to be at the top or near the top, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Just because it works, which yeah. is so much better than most of the DC. <laughs> I mean, Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, somewhere near the bottom. I had a lot more fun with the Suicide Squad, but I went in expecting it to be shit. Um, whereas <laughs> Batman vs. Superman, I went in with no expectations. And instead, it proved itself mm-hmm. shit. I mean, I mean, Joker, I don't mind, but I, it's certainly not what people were claiming it was. People are very hyperbolic about Joker yeah. and you just get the impression you, you don't really watch a lot of films like this do you? <laughs> exactly watch Taxi Driver and then you were never really here so would you recommend Birds of Prey yeah I would actually yeah yeah, I, I stick by my review of it's alright but it's fun you're not going to have a bad time with it and at the end of the day that's what it's about isn't it mm, I definitely think that, that type. it stands apart as its own superhero mm. in the comic book genre I keep saying superhero when probably not applicable in this case but... <laughs> I haven't seen Shazam but I put this on the same level as I put Aquaman at the top and then under that I would put this and Wonder Woman probably and then put Batman vs Superman right at the very bottom yeah, I completely Wonder forgot about yeah, Wonder Woman I did <laughs> yeah, so I Wonder Woman example of a good DC movie yeah, Pro- yeah. but again probably not the forefront but it's, it's the third yeah. act which lets it down yeah, so hard like isn't it issues. yeah, yeah Wonder mm. Woman it's a solid Marvel phase one film Mm. Yeah, yeah, it just ends up in, in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh well, I asked the question, so I don't have to answer it. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I guess see, because I'm was not a, a comic book movie fan, and then I started getting into Marvel. Like my only exposure to DC at all is Batman the Animated Series when mm. I was in high school. Mm. So I guess I would say that I would put Aquaman first, then Birds of Prey, then Wonder Woman. See, I haven't seen most of the others, so then I guess. Batman v Superman and Man of Steel be at the very bottom because it was crap. Oh, Batman vs Superman was Steel. worse than Man of Steel. Yeah, yeah I would but say like that, yeah. we had more Kevin Costner and Man of Steel. And... Man of Steel was just bad. Batman vs Superman was like amazingly bad. That's the other thing I liked about Birds of Prey. I will say because it's a small story, it does not involve huge world-ending stakes. 
Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. becoming such a problem, isn't it? It almost feels weird that Harley exists in this movie because we know that she came off the back of Suicide Squad, which had a stupid plot where they saved the world and it involved the, you know, the, the, the ubiquitous giant ray of light in the sky. And now yeah. she doesn't get the... Du- you know what? You know what we're going to see on YouTube? We're probably going to see about 15 AMVs of cuts from Birds of Prey with that song by the Transformers, um, Diamonds and Guns. It was a one-hit wonder, and they ended up in a Clairol commercial. But basically, <laughs> the course is who got the diamonds, we got to find them. Oh. I suppose that didn't make it on to the <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, and uh, where can people find you all? Uh, just Google Ashens, A-S-H-E-N-S. If you want to find me, you could Google Ashens and go scroll really far down and find our Mystics and Valley review. Or you could be less silly and just look up the Amanda Hagen. I'm the Omega Geek. I'm around. I'm on YouTube and Twitter, you know. <laughs> Say hi. If you want to find my stuff, uh, well, first of all, you're probably watching this on YouTube, so um, you should probably just click that old subscribe button right there. <laughs> but uh, if you're listening to this on various other platforms, I am FilmBrain on YouTube. You can find the podcast, incidentally, on all your favourites, including Spotify, iTunes, and the like. So definitely give it a follow there. You can also follow me on Twitter, FB underscore BMB, uh, Facebook at FilmBrain Reviews, Tumblr at FilmBrainBMB. I think that's all of them. And... Uh, uh, yeah, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we are going to film some more crossovers and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. In the meantime, I'm Matthew Buck fading out. Thank you for listening to the Film Brain Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that if you want to support my work, be it podcasts or YouTube videos, please go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash filmbrain where you can experience those episodes early among other perks. And just a quick shout out to my Patreons, Tim Poppleton, SoFox, Inigo Almandos, Tim Tark, G Viral, Robert Murray, Henry Jacob, Joshua Bowden, Anoy Hayek, Jonah Gustafsson, Tom Oliver Maddox. And remember, if you have any feedback about the show over social media, please use the hashtag FilmBrainPodcast.